Good morning. It pays to read the bulletin. I just opened mine up and found out I'm supposed to get up here. <laughs> it's a privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I, I have been, uh, as I have an opportunity to fill the pulpit, as it's, as it's called, in various places, I've been trying to just work my way slowly through the book of Luke, and today I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17. And we'll start reading in verse 20. We, we cover an area that, that probably has not been my strongest um, area of knowledge, but so it's good for me to, to review it and to uh, learn. It, it is a passage that covers eschatology, uh, the study of future events, and um, in many cases, as with other areas of study in Scripture, it's a matter of you find, it's like a puzzle that you find pieces scattered throughout the Bible and, and to get the whole picture, you put the various pieces together and it begins to form a picture as you get more and more pieces together. This is one of those passages, you might say, that, that forms the, the outer edges. It kind of gives you a, a, um, a background for other pieces to fit into. And um, anyway, so we'll be looking at that here in just a second. Let's go ahead and read it. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. I've asked the question before as far as when, when does Pastor Shaw normally get done? So I'm going to shout out a, a general answer, and I'll try and be done around that time. No guarantees. Around 11.30. Okay, all right. That, that, that's short-winded for me, but I'll do my best. Right. <laughs> Appreciate your honesty. Look at verse 20, and follow along as I read. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, the days shall come when you will long to, say, to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here, do not go away, and do not run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out in one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happens in happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating and they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is, is revealed. On that day, let not the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to get them, to take them away. And likewise, let not the one who is in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life shall preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, one will be taken and the other will be left. 
Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there also will the vultures be or the eagles be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word this morning, help us to learn the things that you want us to learn both for our mind, but mostly for our lives. Someone has said that prophecy should never be studied apart from considering how it affects how I should live now. So I pray, Father, that you would help us as we look at this to ask that question, how should I then live? Please teach us through your Holy Spirit using your word for the glory and honor of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Some of you, as you look up at me, or look at me as a younger man than you, some of you look at me and you say, man, that's an old guy up there. I remember when I was in sixth grade, we had a certain teacher, and, and I don't know what the context of what he, what he was teaching was, but he, he brought up the year 2000. When I was in sixth grade, 2000 was a long way off, and I was thinking about, I can't remember how old I was going to be, but I was going to be in my 40s, I believe, at that time. And I thought, man, that's old. And now that time is gone. When I was in my 20s, there was a, an insurance salesman that, that said that even in my 20s, I needed to begin to prepare for the time that I retired. And again, I thought to myself, that's a long way off. And now, now it's not so far. Someone just asked me out in the hall if I was retired now, that I stopped um, being the camp manager at Raccoon River Bible Camp, and I said, no, I'm retreaded. <laughs> and some of you are old enough to remember what they, I don't know, they, do they still do that with truck tires? They still do, okay. Anyway, and that's what I am. I can't afford to be retired yet, but, the, but I'm grateful to be retreaded. At this point in this, this passage of scripture, cast our eyes on the future and ask us to prepare for that day. And as we look at this passage, I'd just like to look at it uh, a few verses at a time and just go through it with you. Look at verse 20, if you would. So now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with observance or signs to be observed, nor will they say, look here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. On verse 21, the, the phrase that's translated in the New American Standard as in your midst is translated in some passages as the kingdom of God is within you. In other passages or other translations, it's translated as uh, the kingdom of God is among you. And since he's talking to the Pharisees here and not to his disciples, it, it's probably best to take it as the kingdom of God is among you because I don't believe he was saying that the kingdom of God is within the hearts of these unbelieving Pharisees. We understand that, that in a very real sense, the kingdom of God is not a visible thing in this life right now where we are living. In a very real sense, the kingdom of God is within us, where Jesus hopefully reigns as king in our hearts, and we worship him with him in our hearts. We are all familiar with the first and great commandment is to... Don't smoke, don't drink, no, no. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Why? Because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. The kingdom is within us. At the time, though, when Jesus is speaking, the kingdom of God was among them. When Jesus began his ministry, when John the Baptist began his ministry, 
They both began their preaching ministry with the phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. Even though Jesus knew that it would be rejected in a very real way, he was offering to set up the earthly kingdom that he had promised to set up. As I said, he offered it in a very real way, knowing, though, that it would be rejected. If you reject the king, can you accept the kingdom? Can you have the kingdom without the king? And the answer is no. Obviously, they rejected him. God calls for us, though, at this point, with not so much the kingdom being among us, but the kingdom being within us, to let it still be known and to be visible. What do I mean by that? Repentance is a word that refers to what takes place in the heart of a person, of where within my mind I say, I'm going down this path and I want to change and go down this path. But if I've changed in my heart, it means that also there will be a life change as well. The, um, my, my daughter, Abigail, uh, married a young man from Jamaica and they just recently had a chance to go back. For her, it was the first time for her to, to meet her her parents-in-law, her family, uh, his family in Jamaica. Uh, they live near Monterey Bay, I believe is the name of the place, a very big tourist attraction there in Jamaica. And uh, they happened to hit some of the stores. They began to shop for some souvenirs to bring home with them to give, to, to give as gifts. They gave us, a, they gave us a, a crocodile about yay long carved out of wood. They made the mistake of when they were going through customs of saying, are you bringing anything back with you? And she said, yes, wood. And so immediately they were concerned about bringing pests back with them, and so they had to be searched. There was so began a two-hour delay for them through customs. If she would have said, we're bringing back some souvenirs, it would have been no problem at all. Anyway, as they went to these different shops, the, the, it was on a day, it, it was on a holiday when there weren't many people around. They still had, these vendors had their booths set up, and the first vendor that they stopped at as they looked at some other vendors, they said it was the best place with the best prices, and that's where they got this crocodile. But as they began talking, and I'm not sure who initiated that, that aspect of the conversation, but, but uh, it came up that, that both, both sides were Christians. The vendor was a Christian as well as they being Christians as well. And, and she said after they had bought a few things, it, it's as though the, the, the vendor began to gently push them out of her booth and said, you need to go buy from my neighbors. And I, and I thought to myself, that, that is uncommon that someone's going to do that. It's like, I would like the business, right? Stay here and buy as much as you can. But that's what I mean by let it be evidenced. Let it be evidenced that there is a king living within by the way that you change your thinking on the, way, on, on the living without. But at this point, we don't have a visible kingdom. Let's continue on, look at verse 22 and 23. Turning from that question and using, it might say, as a seed thought to begin a teaching time, he turns to his disciples and Jesus says, the days shall come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go away, do not run after them. This phase of the kingdom that he talks about here had not yet come, but we are living in it right now. And that is that the aspect of where he's not here, is he? Has there ever been a time in your life when you're going through hardship or you see uh, sin, as it were, increasing and you say, even so come Lord Jesus? Have you ever said that to yourself? Have you ever longed for his return? 
Have you ever desired to have his physical presence with you to grant comfort either to you or to someone else in a, in a very, you might say, real way, as we would say? The physical presence of Christ would be wonderful to have near, and he's telling his disciples there's going to be times when you're going to want that to happen. And he says you're going to, you're going to miss it and wish, wish it was here, and it's not going to be here. We may have had those times, but Jesus talks about a time when it's going to become particularly true. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. In some ways, this is a parallel passage. Matthew 24 covers more things than, than Luke does here in this chapter. Luke chooses to disperse it a bit and talk about it in some later chapters as well. But in Matthew 24, Jesus describes the same period of time. Just touched on in this verse, in verse 4, he says this, Verses 4 through 14. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but they are, it's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginnings of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for witness to the nations. And then the end shall come. These verses speak of the fact that times are going to get hard. He says, he says there will be birth pangs at first, and sometimes we think that we are seeing some of those. There was a time, I don't remember which child it was that Judy was, Judy was expecting, and the time was very close at hand, and it was very, very early morning that she says, oh, it's time to head to the hospital, and so we began driving, and as we drove toward the hospital, we were living in, in, um, in Lind near Linden at the time, and we drove toward Perry, we came across a bunch of pigs that were out near the road. And my wife is having contractions off and on, and, but, I, but I thought we should stop and go ahead and let the farmer know that his pigs were out. Why? Because it was just the beginning of the birth pangs. And I thought, we got time. We got time. So Jesus says there are, are things that you will see happening, and I believe, as it says, that we are simply beginning to see the beginnings of those birth pangs and the wars, rumors of wars and some famines and that there's, they're going to be far worse in the future. But he also says that there's going to be persecution that's going to take place. He says, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. In, in the process of trying to get a, a teaching um, endorsement to be able to teach math for secondary education, I'm taking some education classes, and there, there I am being taught that it's very important to be accepting of, of all things. Of, of all in, in our culture today, that, that's politically correct, and we understand that. And it's important to be politically correct and accepting of all things except for one thing. Can you guess what that is? And it would be the teachings of the Bible. Where in my education class, someone believed in creation versus evolution, uh, it, it was called stupidity. And all of a sudden, um, I, how many of you have ever come across a DVD by Ben Stein called, um, let me see what the title was, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed? Okay, so some of you have. 
And in, in the education system, in the journal, uh, journalism system, if you want to make it to the top, it's important that you not let it be known that you believe in creation, you believe in the Bible, you believe in Christ, and so on. That if you want to make it to the top and remain there, it's important that, that uh, you either keep it secret or you wait before you reveal it until, you've had, until, until you have your, your what, what's it called, um, your tenure. Um, in that was brought out, we know what happened in Iowa State with one, one certain teacher who was, um, you might say, dismissed from, from, from ISU because of his beliefs concerning that there is an intelligent designer who created everything. But this is just the beginnings. Persecution will take place. And, and, and uh, it, it's only begun. It's taking place in far greater ways in other parts of the world, and it will continue to get worse. Are you grateful? Are you looking forward to that? Say, say no, no, no person with, with their mind still in gear says, I look forward to this. But at the same time, it gives us opportunity, doesn't it, to shine as lights in a darker world. And for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he's in charge. Let's go on. Verse 23 through 25. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go away. Do not run after them. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out in one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. These three, three, these three verses talk about two comings. One of them is the, 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 the second coming. And he says, you don't need to have any doubts. Sometimes have you ever in your lifetime said that there is the, the Messiah and he is, in, he is some guru or whatever in some location? Have you ever heard anybody say that? I have, I have in, in my short lifetime on more than one occasion. And, and Jesus says here, he says you don't need to go over there and search it out because when he does come back for his second time, it is going to be with observation. He says it's going to be like, like lightning that takes place far away off in the distance and, and you can be clear on the other side of the, of the uh, other direction and you see it take place. He says so will the, the coming of the Son of Man be. And I'm going to head and turn and read very briefly Romans, I'm sorry, not Romans, but rather Revelation chapter 19. You're welcome to turn with me there. Read about uh, five verses, Revelation 19, where it describes this second coming of his, beginning in verse 11 of, of Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he's clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He said that this is an event that will not be hidden and not be a small thing where we have to wonder whether he has come or not. So he said the second coming is described, but he says then about his, talking about his first coming, he says, verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. One of my favorite Old Testament passages, uh, the favorite prophecies that talks about 
Not where Christ would come, not what his death would be like necessarily, but even though it does touch on that, it was Isaiah 53, which talks about why he came, why he would come. And there it talks about him being, you might say, the, 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 the lamb slain for us, the, the wayward sheep who had gone astray. Shortly after this passage, it talks about, in, in Matthew, he talks about the parable of the, the ten virgins. Do you remember the story? About them having the oil lamp, some being prepared and some, some not being. And oftentimes in Scripture, the oil is compared with the Holy Spirit. There is a time when Christ will return and the doors will be closed. And it's important that at that point we know Christ because if we don't know him at that point, it is too late at that, from, from, from thereafter. It is Christ that came, that came and died in our place on the cross of Calvary. And because of him satisfying the justice of a holy God, we who are sinful people can be forgiven. If you are here and there's never been a time when you have called on Christ to save you from your sin, and as a result, receive the Holy Spirit to live within from this day forward, as it were, now is the time, today is the day, because we are not guaranteed that there will be a tomorrow. Moving on to the next passage, verses 26 through 30. We read, and, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. There are three aspects that are talked about here as far as the coming of Christ the second time. There's a certain spot right there. It just doesn't like for me to deliver, to talk there, so I'll try and avoid that if I can. But in this passage here, the first thing that it says is that it, when Christ comes back, for most people, it's going to take them by surprise. It's going to take them, as it says in Thessalonians, it's going to, going to come as a thief in the night. They're going to be surprised by it. I understand that you guys have been going through um, the book of Ecclesiastes. Is that correct? Okay, there it talks about living under the sun. And most people do just that. They are, as, as some people call it, they are worldlings. This world is all they understand. This is all they know. And this is all that they live for. The things that are mentioned here in these verses, they're, they're marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking, doing business and so on, are not sinful things, as it were. But when that is all that we live for, when that takes up our, our time, ultimately we end up serving ourselves instead of serving him. And we do not live for him, he who created us, him who, to whom we owe everything. That is the first aspect of the coming. As I say, it's going to come as a surprise for people. The second thing that's revealed for, 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 for us in, this, in these three verses, or these few verses here, is that it is also going to come preceded by or including judgment. And this is not a pretty part, but when it talks about the coming of, of Noah and the time, okay, Noah came at a time of judgment. Okay, that's what his was all about. The ark was, was, he was preserved from the judgment of the people, the sinful people of his time. When it talks about Lot, Lot was preserved from the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And when Christ comes, there will also be judgment as well. Uh, it's not, as I said, a pretty picture. In the book of Revelation, again, and I believe it's in Revelation chapter 10, uh, John is told to eat a, a small book or a small scroll, and, he's, and the angel says to him, when you eat this, it's going to taste sweet in your mouth, but it's going to be bitter in your stomach. And I believe this is, what this is saying is that, that when Christ comes back, when Christ comes back, we are looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being changed completely into his image, to no longer have the fight with war taking place in my life anymore. I'm looking forward to it for a lot of other reasons as well. In the process of, of looking forward to it, I understand also that it, it, there's a, a, a bitter aspect to it as well. In, um, in the Believer's Bible Commentary, it says this on that, on that one verse, Revelation 10.10. 10. Just reading there, he says, As predicted by the angel, the scroll was sweet as honey in his mouth, but bitter to his stomach. For the believer, it is sweet to read of God's determination to glorify his son where he was once crucified. It is sweet to read of the triumph of God over Satan and all of his hosts. It is sweet to read of the time when the wrongs of the earth will be made right. But there is bitterness also connected with the study of prophecy. There is the bitterness of self-judgment, which the prophetic scriptures produce. There is a bitterness of viewing the judgments which must soon fall in the apostate Judaism and Christendom. And there is the bitterness of contemplating the eternal doom of all who reject the Savior. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says that one of the reasons God delays Christ's return is so that there is time for more to repent because he does not take delight in the death of the wicked. But, but the day is coming. The day is coming, and those aspects will be there. The third aspect that's brought out in these, these verses is this, is that as in the day of Noah, as in the day of Lot, there was the preservation or the preserving of, of his righteous from that judgment. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As a believer, we go through his discipline. As a believer, there are times when he has to spank us for our growth, to make us more in the image of, of in, in, to grow in his image. And I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit, as, as I, I can't remember who it was, I think it was C.S. Lewis that described him as the Holy Hound of Heaven, does not leave us alone, does not leave us in our sin, but pursues hard after us. But while he disciplines us, he does not punish us in the sense of justice punishment, as in a court of law, because that has been taken care of in the cross of Christ. He has taken our punishment for us. This time, this time directly preceding the return of Christ. And when it talks about, when Christ talks about the day of his, his coming back or the day of the Lord, he's not referring to the specific day, it's referring to that time period of his return oftentimes. And, and when the events that, that surround that, that near return of his, and it is in that judgment that takes place during this time as well as upon his return. And I believe it's God's desire to take those who have been cleansed in his blood and preserve them from that. And so we have passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that says that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. 
and we'd be caught up together with him to be in the clouds with him. Okay, this is the preserving from the judgment. That's not touched on very much, and I'm not going to dwell on it in a great deal here, but I believe it is a part of that aspect, as in the coming of Noah, as in the days also of Lot. My time is running out. I'd like to continue on here to the next passage, verse 31. It says, In that day, let not the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away. <clears throat> Likewise, let not the one who is in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life shall preserve it. Verse 31, talking about let not the one on the housetop go down to get their goods in the house. In the structures of the houses back then, the dwelling places, a lot of times they would sleep on top of the roof. And the, the, they would have an external, external stairway that would then go down to the main floor, to the ground level, and then they'd walk into their house from there. He's saying, he's saying here, in this case here, that it's important not, not to go back into the house. I'd like to, to turn to a parallel passage, I think, that, that gives us a key, a, a, little bit, a little bit more detail as far as the fitting of where this fits in to what he's saying here. And that would be in the book of, I'm sorry, Matthew 24 again, Matthew 24, verse 15. Reading there, verse, verse 15 through 22, he says this. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out out that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever shall be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. I believe the application for this verse here is, is referring to the time in the book of Daniel chapter 9, he talks about the 70 weeks, and it's not referring to weeks of days, but, but 70 weeks of years. It, it, it pinpoints when Christ was going to be cut off from the first time, when he was going to die, as it were, on the cross. But it also talks about that during the 70th week of Daniel, uh, that, that final seven years sometimes is tied to the seven-year tribulation period. They're halfway through when there's three and a half um, years left, it says that the Antichrist is going to set up an idol in the temple in Jerusalem. Is that temple there right now? It is, it is not. Okay, the, the, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews and others have everything ready so that when the opportunity, they can build that temple. And they have, as it were, gone through essentially what David went through preparing for his son Solomon to build a temple. They've got the material, they've got the people, and it's ready to, ready to be set up. He says, though, Jesus says that when you, see, when you see the abomination or that idol set up by the Antichrist, it says it's time for you to leave, and it's time for you to leave right now and not, to not return for anything, to flee to the mountains. Again, you can tie it to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 6, where it says that, that the, the Israel, again, will flee to the mountains. Elsewhere, it talks about the armies surrounding, uh, surrounding Jerusalem as, as going side and side or part and part with this, and they are to, to flee at that time. 
He says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life shall preserve it. This is a phrase that you've seen before, that we as Christians have seen that a part of discipleship, following Christ, that if we seek to live as worldlings do, to seek to live for this life only, we will lose our life eternally. Why? Because a person who is born of God lives for his kingdom, lives for that time of his return. The same goes here during that, that tribulation time. Be, there will be many reasons why people will want to preserve their life. In order to, to do commerce, to buy groceries for your family, you're going to have to receive the mark of the beast. In order for you to, preserve, to be preserved from persecution, you may have to give up your loved ones who know Christ. He says, he says in that case there, he says, remember Lot's wife, don't let your clinging be for this life, but rather make sure that you focus on the days ahead and what's coming when Christ comes back again. He who seeks to preserve his life at that time will lose it. Rather, he who is willing to be beheaded for the cause of Christ, he says, your life is, is, is preserved when Christ returns. The final verses there of the chapter, looking there, if you would please with me. Verse 34, he says, I tell you, on that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is also will the vultures be gathered. Where the body is, there will the vultures be gathered. The word for body there can either refer to a dead body or a live body. In the book of Matthew, he makes it clear. He says it's a corpse. He says where the corpse is, there will be the vultures be, be gathered. And when you read through Revelation, there is a, a lot of death that takes place. And even within that chapter 19 that we read, it talks about the, the birds of the air being invited to feast upon the flesh of men, of armies, of generals. Of, of, from the highest to the lowest. This is going to be a time of separation where one will be taken and one will be left. And I believe it's referring to the rapture. I believe it's referring to the separation of those who will be allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom and those that will be rejected from it. And those that are rejected from it are the ones that are being, being taken away, as it were. It, it apparently is something that's going to be, t be taking place very quickly because within the same breath, Jesus talks about one person sleeping at night, or two people sleeping at night, one will be taken, one will be left. It talks about people working in the field. Do they work in the field at nighttime? And typically not. One will be taken, one will be left. How can that, that happen at the, at the same time? Obviously, again, looking at the whole world, if something happens instantaneously around the world, some will be sleeping and some will be awake, working. But, but God will separate those who will enter and be allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom from those who will not. What he means by the eagles or the vultures in verse 37, is he talking about literal birds and literal dead bodies, or is he talking about the angels coming and taking these away to judgment? I don't know, but it is there. When I was reading through and closing here, when I was reading through the, um, the doctrinal statement of the E-Free Church as a whole, I came across this. 
verse, and the point number nine in the doctrinal statement says, we believe in the personal, bodily, premillennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. Again, the coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. The challenge for you is the challenge for me. I have spoken before, and I, and I say it again, that um, it's one thing for words to speak, it's another thing for one's life to speak. And, and, and again, there are those I look up to here in your congregation whose life speaks to me as my example, and I'm grateful for them. This passage is saying, are you ready for Christ's return? But it also asks us, are there ones around you ready for Christ's return? And what are you doing for them? Will the bitterness that that day brings be bitterness for them? Because we have not said anything. I understand that God is sovereign, but he does choose to use us in the lives of other people. The question is, are we living like worldlings of where our focus is upon what's taking place in my life now, the cares of this world? Or are we focusing and living a life of service as I said in the statement, the doctrinal statement, are we living a life of sacrificial, of sacrificial service, of where we are denying ourselves indulgences that we, people would normally give themselves and allow themselves so that we could serve him in a greater way? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, the, the Believer's Bible Commentary spoke of one of the aspects of bitterness of, pro of studying prophecy is the, the bitterness of self-reflection, of self-judgment, of asking myself, of us asking ourselves, am I living for that day? When he comes back, will I be ashamed? Will I have wished I could have given him and would have given him more? Lord Jesus, it is very easy for us to live like worldlings, to live for self-indulgence, for entertainment, for pleasure. Even in our prayers to pray for sicknesses of our loved ones and those that we care about and those that we know and to forget about their eternal state. Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would help us to live these days in light of the future when you return that we may hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That we may glorify you now as we will one day see you return in glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. Lord bless you.